Again, welcome to the Gateway Church. I, I see some uh, faces that are unfamiliar, which is awesome. It's always awesome. And uh, we want to uh, just believe that you're here for a reason and that God is going to get a hold of your heart. And, uh, and really, that God is going to work on all of our hearts. And uh, we're tracking through 1 Corinthians, and it's been really exciting. And uh, a couple, well, I guess last week we got to chapter 12. And really, when we look at chapter 12, 13 and 14, we look at that as a, as a group of uh, chapters that are kind of together. And in my heart, I explained last week that I've been excited about this, that there's been some expectation in my heart when it comes to talking about spiritual gifts. And I said last week that I feel like in many ways that I have been preparing and learning and seeking truth uh, in regards to this particular subject matter my entire adult life. And uh, I believe that God wants to meet us, and He wants to help us to grow in under our understanding. And my desire as your pastor is to bring a balanced truth. And I know we come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different, uh, uh, you know, different ways of, of thinking about spiritual gifts, but I want to uh, bring some unity to that, and I just believe God, He can do that. Amen? Amen. So last week I gave you an assignment, and I had you read a few different passages, all talking about spiritual gifts. But what was interesting about those particular passages is that not one of those was comprehensive or exhaustive. Uh, and what we know is when we come to chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul is addressing a body of believers. He's addressing the leaders in the church where the gifts of the Spirit, where the spiritual gifts were alive and active in the church. In fact, Gordon Fee said this, for Paul, the gifts were as normal as breathing. Everyone take a big breath. <sighs> Let it out. That's how normal the gifts were, and they were intended for the building up of people. But some would say, well, Paul was addressing some issues, and we're going to get to that over the next several weeks. Yes, that is true. And some would say, well, there was issues with the spiritual gifts, and so we want to eliminate that God does not move in these gifts anymore or that was too much, or there was disorder and pride, and so we just are going to say no to all of these gifts. And some would say, well, these gifts, they were for the immature believers, like the Corinthian church. And really, what's not needed for the more mature congregation. But that is simply not supported in Scripture. I've been seeking God's Word, and I just believe, and in fact, if some would say that, I would say, well, you might as well eliminate the Lord's Supper and because uh, that's not needed then either. And it's just ludicrous. And we talked about some principles last week as we started this whole idea of spiritual gifts. And I want to hit those very briefly. The first one is this, is that spiritual gifts are for all believers. Everyone say all believers. It's for everybody and they are for today. The second thing was that 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, which we're going to get to here in a minute, is not a complete listing of spiritual gifts. But I do believe that they were the most active manifestations of the Spirit, and they were a good representation. And, and as Paul was speaking and writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's a reason those nine are clumped together. Now, the third thing that we said last week was that spiritual gifts are not the same as natural abilities. This is good news, okay? We all have things that we're good at doing. And sometimes God empowers those natural things with supernatural empowerment. We understand that. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, it's not always the same all the time. Spiritual gifts are divinely empowered abilities that are beyond our natural ability. 
So this morning, the worship team, they've got a certain amount of talent, and they're pretty talented, I'll tell you. But God took them beyond that natural ability supernaturally and used them. I believe that. Supernatural gifts are what we could not do on our own, and they are distinctly supernatural. That is really important. And I believe that God wants to use us with these spiritual gifts. And our desire, I hope and pray, will be increasing in regards to these things. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, that's where we landed last week. And we really see the key to this whole passage, 12, 13, and 14. I want you to turn with me there. It says, Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is a really important verse in regards to spiritual gifts. The common good, that God gives the gifts, and they're manifest in your life and in the church, and they're born out of the presence of God, and they strengthen the church. We may not even know that we're being used in some of these gifts. I don't know if you realize that, but God, He can use us when we're available. Uh, it may be obvious to others, kind of like Moses coming down the mountain, and uh, he's glowing. There's a radiance, it said, uh, in the Bible. And he didn't even realize it, but everyone around him realized what was happening. And the point is, is that we absolutely need the presence of God. And where his presence is, that is where the power is. Amen? And so we want to invite the power. We want to invite the presence of God into this place today, but into our lives as we go through our lives day by day, moment by moment. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, would you turn with me there? If you're not already there, and I want you to stand, and we're going to read God's word. We're going to look at this, and we're going to ask God for some insight into the nine manifestation gifts that are listed in 8, 9, and 10. But let's read it in context, and it's starting in verse 1. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do, or you were, ugh, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Important verse. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. Now, I want you to pause there and flip to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, because you'll see how this kind of ties in. It says, what then shall I say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn, has a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. All of these must be done. Why? For the strengthening of the church. These spiritual gifts are for the strengthening of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that's behind it. And God, that it stands alone, but Lord, that you can help in a, a moment like this to give clarity, instruction, 
and really to take down some of the barriers that maybe hold us back. But God, I pray that today you would use me for your glory, for your honor. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. My goal is to look at the nine manifestations here, give a biblical example, and then I want to end this morning with some misconceptions that would prohibit us from being used within these areas. And I just want to be upfront uh, that my expectation as we go, go through this is that there will be a response this morning in our hearts that we'll not only just hear the word, but we'll be able to apply it and that we'll be able to respond. And so I want to want you to track with me and uh, believe God for something that may be beyond what you've experienced this morning. Now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, um, how many have known someone or maybe even yourself, you'll be honest, say, man, when you talk about spiritual gifts, it can be kind of scary or mysterious or kind of creepy, right? Maybe you've, you've been around and, and you're saying, man, I don't know. I'm a little hesitant when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. How many know someone like that? Or maybe you don't have to raise your hand. Okay, let me, let me just say this. I feel like the Lord gave me a word for you in particular this week, and I want you to pay close attention. Are you ready for this? Boo! <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I want you to know, it went better first service. I don't know. It's okay. Erase. No, I'm just kidding. The reason I say that, and seriously, there's nothing scary about the gifts of the Spirit, is that they are much more natural, much more practical than what you may realize. And I want to look at these and give a snapshot of each and every one, okay? And so let's start. Let's look at the message of wisdom. A message of wisdom is a supernatural ability to apply the Word of God in a particular situation or circumstance. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15, and what we're going to see is we're going to look at the book of Acts primarily uh, in regards to these. Acts 15, we're going to see here that wisdom is practical guidelines. It's a piece of wisdom. It's not the whole picture, but it's supernatural in a situation and it's temporary insight. Uh, now, the story here is that uh, it's dealing with the Gentile believers. There's these Judaizers. There's this debate. And now a letter is sent to the Gentile church in Acts chapter 15. And you can read it in the context, 22 through 29. But what we see here is that, that happens in verse 28 is that God gives some insight. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And the point there is that there was a word given that gave insight and, and gave wisdom, the ability to understand God's word in a particular situation. And it was powerful and it was needed. And God can do the same thing in our lives today. He can give a message of wisdom. The second one is the message of knowledge, which is seen a ton throughout the book of Acts. And that's the supernatural ability to search, to understand, to articulate the Word of God in a systematic way. Why? Again, to benefit the church. How many uh, have uh, read the story of Ananias and Sapphira and ever been afraid of that? <laughs> You're like, okay, well, there was the message of, of knowledge within that story. We're not going to look at that one. I want you to turn to Acts 27. But what's, what's crazy is that a word of knowledge came 
And then people died. And that's how serious it was. It was like, whoa. And that's, that is kind of scary, all right? I, I, we'll all recognize that. Um, but look at Acts 27. There's a story here where we'll see that knowledge is a point of understanding that is not known otherwise. Now, knowledge can come from three different areas. This is important to understand. The first is through human understanding. You can study, you can learn, you can grow in knowledge and understanding, and that's not the gift of wisdom, all right, or the message of, of knowledge, okay? There's also the demonic at work in, in our world, and we understand that. Uh, things can be from the occult, and uh, that's not the, the message of knowledge either. The third is a divine, it's, it's from the Spirit of God, a message of knowledge that can come in a supernatural way, Right? So the story here is that they're sailing to Rome, it's late in the season, and Paul stands up, and in verse 10, he says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and to the cargo and to our very own lives also. How did Paul understand that? It was through a message of knowledge he understood that. Now in verse 21 and 22, look what it says. After the men had gone for a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. But verse 22 says, But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. How did Paul know this? It was from a message of knowledge supernatural knowledge in that particular circumstance. The message of knowledge is powerful. My wife and I, we've experienced this a few years back. How many years has it been? Five years? About five or six years ago, Jessica every day struggled with pain in her stomach and ended up in the emergency room. I thought she was going to die. They kept on pumping her with morphine and the pain wouldn't go away one time on vacation. It was very scary. And a message of wisdom or a message of knowledge was delivered to us. And what's interesting, we didn't really take it to heart right away. But someone said, man, um, maybe you should eliminate gluten out of your diet. And we didn't understand that. But the day that Jessica did, she had no more problems and hasn't for five years. It's incredible. That's a message of knowledge that God used. And I believe that God can speak and show you things. It's a message of knowledge. The third is faith, and this is different from saving faith. It's important for us to realize, but faith is a supernatural ability to believe God for what He wants to accomplish in the church's ministry and that He will lead and provide. This is a neat gift. I love this. We see in Acts 27, 21 through 25, kind of the continuation of that story with Paul there, um, verse 23 says this, uh, stay with me in Acts 27 before we go to Acts 14, okay? Verse 23 says, last night an angel of God, whose I am, I messed this up first service too, and whom I serve, stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who, will sa who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. What I want you to see here in particular is that the gifting of faith, that, that miraculous manifestation of the supernatural ability, is combined in this case with 
with this story. And what we see is that there's this, uh, this word of knowledge and faith working hand in hand. Now, turn with me to Acts 14, and what we see here is a, a story about faith. That Paul, he's in Lystra, he's preaching the word of God, and uh, what's great about this story is that there was someone that had faith, Paul recognized, or Peter recognized, Paul, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul recognized it, and there was again, we're going to see three manifestations of the Spirit working all at once, faith, healing, and the distinguishing between spirits. Let's look at it. Verse 8 says, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. I was thinking about that this week, just how, um, how painful that would be for that family. He says, He listened to Paul, who was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called him out, said, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up, and began to walk. And we see there a, com- a combination of manifestation of, of gifts at work. Beautiful faith. The next one is the gifts of healing. And it's gifts of healing. It's plural in nature. And it's the supernatural ability to bring healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in a lot of different ways. In that story in Acts chapter 5, after Ananias and Sapphira were struck down and, and uh, knocked out and taken out, um, what we see is this, you know, the, the apostles were approached, and what it says in verse 12, it says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. So there's the miraculous powers, which we'll talk about in a second, all, along with some healing gifts at work. Look at verse 15. Uh, it says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns all around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by evil spirit. And all, everyone say all, and all of them were healed. There was the work of the Holy Spirit, of, of the spiritual gift of healing at work in that circumstance. We saw at the beginning of that chapter, the miraculous powers were at work. And that's a supernatural ability to release the power of God. This is incredible. And I believe that God can still work. He wants to work in this area. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, um, you can read it in its context, 1 through 10. Uh, What we see here is that the miraculous power is God's power transcending the ordinary. There's more than what meets the eye. Peter's in prison. The church is praying. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, The night before Herod was about to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two smelly soldiers, bound with two chains, and the sentries stood guard at the entrance. They were stuck. Peter was bound. But verse 7 says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and shone a great light in the cell. That's the first miraculous power. In the middle of the night, he illuminated the room where they were. It was really powerful. But then look what happens. He struck Peter. I'm thinking he struck him. Did he hit him or you know, just tap him? I'm not sure. But he struck Peter on the side and woke him up and said, quick, get up. And he said, And then the chains fell off 
Peter's wrist. The miraculous at work. And then in verse 10, we see they passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate. And Peter's saying, ah, we're going back. There's no way we can get through this iron gate. But look what it says. The, somebody hit the garage door. Look what it says. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angels left. The miraculous was at work in that story. And I believe that the miraculous can happen in our lives as well. The next one is distinguishing between spirits. There's penetrating insight when it comes to the spiritual world. And uh, distinguishing between spirit is the supernatural ability to discern between true and false doctrine or teachers. Turn with me to Acts 13. You should be right there. What I want to remind you is that there's three different areas that we can uh, work with as far as spirits. There can be a human, uh, human influence. There can be the demonic influence or the Holy Spirit's influence. And when I say that, because I believe that the greatest discernment of spirits is not on a witch hunt or looking for demons or, or calling out devils behind every corner, but the distinguishing between spirit, I believe that most of us here have experienced this. How many have ever walked into a room or into a church or into an atmosphere where you sense the Holy Spirit? Yeah? You have distinguished between spirits, and the Lord has revealed that to you by the power of God. Now, what we know that there are things behind a person that may feel right or feel wrong, and P- P- uh, not Peter, Paul is witnessing in this circumstance to the proconsul, and there's this Jewish sorcerer who's been opposing Paul right to his face, saying, "Hey, all these things." And look at verse uh, chapter 13, uh, verse four. I'm sorry, verse 8. Let's look at it there. It says, But Elamus, the sorcerer, for that was what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So there's this opposition going on. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Now, how did Paul know that. It was because he was able to distinguish between spirits at that moment, at that time. How did Paul know? Why did God reveal it? It wasn't so that Paul could go around and boast. It was so that they could address the issue, so that they would know how to pray. And it's a beautiful gift distinguishing between spirits. Another one is prophecy. This one's awesome. I love prophetic, uh, the prophetic at work. It says the uh, prophecy is the supernatural ability to speak the mind of God by prediction or proclamation through a profound understanding of God's word, always rooted in God's word, it's important, and God's work in history and in the affairs of men and women. It's a communication gift. I want you to know that prophetic almost always is temporary in nature. It's not like a a prophet goes around and always is engaged and knows everything about your future and about all these things. But for a right moment, at the right time, and we see in 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to get there in a few weeks, we're a whole chapter on prophecy and tongues and the distinctions between the two. 
But the important thing is that this one does not stand alone. You must have distinguishing between spirits to say, okay, is this a false prophet or is this a true prophetic word? They work hand in hand, and I believe that's what God is uh, always is. That's an important piece. Amen? All right, we're tracking along. Got two more, and then we're going to look at some, some things and then respond. And I know I've been going through pretty quickly here, but I, I pray that you get the essence of what's happening here. The next is speaking in different kinds of tongues. And what's interesting here is that there are really two uh, different gifts that kind of look and manifest themselves as the same. One is for a public use, and one is for personal or private prayer language. And it's, diff- it's difficult, uh, or it's different in function and different in the outcomes of why and who gets the benefit. But both are the supernatural ability to communicate in a previously unknown language. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, turn there with me. Uh, look at verse 2, 3, and 4. Look what it says. It says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. So when you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking a language that not previously known, you're speaking to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He mutters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And the key here is in verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It builds up the individual. When someone prays in the Spirit, prays in a language that's unknown, the, you, know, you call it a prayer language or however you describe it, it builds you up personally. That's what it does. And it's important. And I can't imagine a day going by that, that I, don't, I don't want a day to go by where I'm not tapping into that particular gift. But that's a personal gift. Now, there's also tongues in a corporate setting. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. There's a difference, all right? It says, if anyone speaks in, tongue, in a tongue, this is in a public setting now. Two, or at th- most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. And he's talking about some of the abu- abuse that was happening in that circumstance. But look at verse uh, 28. For if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. And so what we see here is that if it's in a corporate setting, that tongue, that unknown language, needs to be interpreted within the context. Why, does, why would God do that? Why would God put a tongue, interpretation? It, it talks about it. We'll get to it in its entirety. But it builds up the church, and it's a sign to the unbeliever. So whether it's public or personal, it's a message to or from God. The message, the speaking in different kinds of tongues is a powerful gift. And uh, we've already talked about that interpretation of tongues. That's the supernatural ability to understand, to translate, to communicate what has been spoken previously uh, in an unknown language. And again, it's temporary. It's not forever. It's, It's temporary in that setting. Why? It's to build up the church. So why would God do this? Why would God allow the body of Christ to experience these supernatural spiritual gifts? I believe that God knows what we need and what others around us need far better than what we could ever imagine on our own. You get that? How many have needs in your life, right? 
And we, we all do. We could all, we could line up and, and say, hey, these are the things that are close to my heart. We've got a list. Deb talked about it. It's a stack this high from, from last Sunday of things that we're praying on your behalf. And anytime you can add to that list and we will pray, we intercede on your behalf. We do that. But when God knows what we need, He will allow us to be used in a temporary, in, a, in a, an empowered way, a manifestation so that it, to do something that we could never do on our own. God allows that. And with that, we want to remember 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says to eagerly desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? It's the gifts that are needed at the, at the right time, at the right place. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says again, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So Paul, he's saying this, he's writing this to a church who is really abusing some of the gifts, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. They're out of order, but what I want you to see is that Paul does not say to the believers, to the church there, he doesn't say stop. He doesn't say, hey, cut it out, no more spiritual gifts. Instead, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to learn in these areas. And that's what my goal is over these next few weeks, to bring some insight in even today. Now, when we talk about these spiritual gifts, there are some people that are tentative. I understand that from different backgrounds. Maybe you're suspicious, or maybe you're against them, or maybe you've seen abuses within the church, and you're saying, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, all right? And, And I get that. But many times, there are misconceptions spiritually that if they're cleared up or brought some insight into those, that it's kind of like I, I saw this illustration this week. You know, how many have ever had a pebble in your shoe, right? And you get something in your shoe, and all of a sudden you're walking kind of funny, and uh, you don't want to put your full pressure, and you, you know, it's hard to walk. You're certainly not going to run or run a, any distance uh, with a pebble in your shoe. You're going to stop. You're going to take it out. Well, listen, the pebble is kind of like our misconceptions with the Spirit. And so like a pebble in your shoe, it can be annoying, right? Okay, the misconceptions can be annoying or painful, and until it's removed, you cannot walk or run properly. And so we want to remove some of these misconceptions, and I want to take four of them, and, uh, and then we want to respond this morning and say, God, help us in these areas. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 says, don't be ignorant, but don't ignore these spiritual gifts as well. So these misconceptions, they can hinder your understanding, they can hinder your openness to the spirit, to the, to the spiritual gifts. And the first one is this, that people own spiritual gifts. Okay, that's the misconception. So let me say it, people do not own spiritual gifts. What does 1 Corinthians 12, 7 say? That there are these manifestations given to each one. That word manifestation is a temporary term. In the Greek, it means a flashing forth. It's speaking of lightning. That manifestation are the different ways that God can show himself when the community is gathered together. In verse 11, it says also that he gives to each one. Look what it says there. It says all these are the work of one and the same spirit. He gives them to each one. And it's episodically, if that's a word, I'm not even sure. It's moment by moment. It's not something that you have for a lifetime. What's interesting, what's curious, I think it's a good question. You say, well, wait a second. 
I know someone that often works in maybe tongues and interpretation of tongues. That, that when that gift is, uh, is going, they're the go-to person. You know, that, that, how many have ever experienced that, right? We've seen that. Well, how come that works? Or maybe someone with healing. You know, uh, maybe you remember, you know, read about Catherine Coleman back in the day. You know, she had this healing ministry. Well, did she possess the gift of healing? No, she would deny that. Or someone that works in the prophetic all the t- or, you know, a lot. You say, well, what, are they a prophet? Maybe, maybe not. The answer is that the greater the openness to an area uh, in your life, and especially in spiritual gifts, you become familiar with those things. And in familiar territory, what does it do? It builds a measure of faith. That, okay, God, I stepped out, I took a risk, and I prayed for someone to be healed. They were healed. The next time someone's sick, my faith is enlarged. I'm going to take that step again. And maybe God will use that, or maybe not at that moment. It's really up to God at that moment. Does that make sense? And so people do not own spiritual gifts. And that kind of trips people up. Well, how does that help us in our own thoughts? If it's not my gifts, then they're God's gifts. And that's the important piece. And what that does, it provides a humility. It takes away pride. Church, spiritual pride causes spiritual shipwrecks. And nobody needs that. And we're encouraged in Scripture not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And when God is working in spiritual gifts and through our lives, it's not a time to toot our own horn and say, look at me. It's a look at God. Look what God has done. It also reminds us of the truly supernatural nature of what's happening. You say, well, how do you get these spiritual gifts, right? Well, you can't just go out and get them. There's not a formula saying, all right, you know, if you eat your Wheaties and, you know, you brush your teeth and, you know, you lay on your left side going to bed. No, it's not like that. Uh, Listen, I think the key for me, as I understand in Scripture, is the presence of God. It's the presence of God that leads to the power of God. That comes through His Word, and it comes through being together in worship. And I believe that any one of us can manifest these spiritual gifts. They can be used in powerful ways. I believe that to my core. The second misconception is that spiritual gifts will come on you and take control of you. How many of you have ever thought that? You don't have to answer that, all right? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know, I've known people that they're like, man, I, there's no way I'm going to speak in tongues. You know, I don't want, you know, something taking care, you know, hold my tongue and, and making me do something, say something I don't want. And what's interesting is that in 1 Corinthians 14.32, it says, well, well, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 14.32, just on the page, next page over, it says the spirit of the prophets, right, are subject to the prophets or to the control of the prophets. In other words, you can be loud or you can be soft. You can jump or you can sit. You can have no emotion or a ton of emotion. The volume and the passion are not indicators of the Spirit's working. Does that make sense? How many have ever seen someone been slain in the Spirit? Maybe they fall out in the Spirit and, you know, the power of God's on them and boom, they're on the floor. Hopefully there's a catcher, you know, you know something like that. How many have seen that before? All right. All right. Three of you. Okay. All right. Well, maybe it's going to happen today. No, I don't know. Yeah. Well, when that happens, I've heard people say, hey, 
you know, I, I'm down and I can't move. There's no way I can get up. And I'm saying, okay, maybe. You know, I, can God do anything? Yes. But in my experience, that's happened once to me. And I was all by myself. I was in the back of a service and God was moving and boom, next thing you know, I'm on the floor. I'm like, whoa. But I allowed that to happen. I could have resisted that. And at any moment for me, in my story, I could have got up. My dad tells a story that when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, when he first spoke in tongues, he was a young man, uh, 16, 17 years old, before they got married. Uh, He got married at 19 or 18 or 19. But uh, he was at the altar, and there were people praying all around. My dad gets filled with the Holy Spirit, starts speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden, he starts dancing all around the, the, the front of the church, and he doesn't land on anybody, doesn't bump into one person, guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've asked my dad about that, and I'm saying, Dad, at any moment in that circumstance, could you have stopped dancing? He's saying, of course. Of course I could have stopped, but I didn't want to, right? And I think there's a distinction there, that these spiritual gifts do not come on you and control you in that way. The other thing that I love is James chapter 5, 17. It talks about Elijah being used by God in some miraculous ways. But what I love, it says in verse 17, that Elijah was just like us. He was just one of us. And there's not a different set of rules for those that are going to be used in spiritual gifts. No. God will use you when you're available to be used. The third misconception is this, is that spiritual gifts have to be perfect, otherwise they're not of God. This is really important. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I want you to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. It says, but we, that's us, the body of Christ, we have this treasure. That's the anointing. That's the power. That's the gifts. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so what I see there is that we don't have to be perfect in the gifts. I've heard of people, you know, giving tongues, interpretation of tongues, and they stutter. And you say, oh, does God stutter, right? You know, like, what's wrong? Maybe something's wrong. Or maybe someone is grammatically incorrect as they're sharing a word from the Lord or, a, you know, wisdom or message. And you're saying, wait, wait, wait. Only Jesus operated perfectly. Can we agree on that? But what I see in this verse is that there's this incredible treasure. There's power, anointing. There's the gifts. Those all belong to God. And then there's us, the dirt buckets, right? The jars of clay. That's who we are. And God chooses to operate through limited human losers if I can include myself in that. That's the truth. I told the story last week, and I won't share it all in its entirety again, but um, we were on a missions trip, Jessica and I, when we first uh, got to know each other, and we were in Mexico City, or on our way to Mexico City, and this guy, it, during a choir concert, all of a sudden, it's like reaches out his hands like this and says, Stop! And it was so scary. I mean, it was crazy. I shared the story last week. 
And then he went on to say there, you know, people needed to repent and all these things. And I believe in the heart of hearts that he was hearing from the Lord. Did he do it perfectly? Not even close, all right? It was a good teaching moment. And we understand that. But we can move in these gifts without the pressure that it has to be right 100% of the time. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that awesome? And then there's a fourth misconception. This one can really hurt a lot of people. They think, well, it's better to be safe than it is to be sorry. (laughs) It's better to live than to have to be stoned or to be disciplined or to be embarrassed. And what I see, and I've said this last week, I'd rather have a wild horse trying to rein it in than to try to resurrect a dead horse. The context of 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians is, yes, there was some abuse, and we'll get to that. But not one time does Paul say, you need to cut this out. These spiritual gifts are no longer good. You need to stop these. Instead, he says, you need to get better. You need to understand. Don't be ignorant. And so we need to operate not in a place of fear, but in a place of safety. Uh, there, I read a book this, uh, over the last couple of weeks about these spiritual gifts from Gordon Fee, who's just an incredible um, expository um, uh, theologian from a Pentecostal perspective. And at the end of the book, I loved it. I wrote it down. I was like, I'm going to use this. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to use it this week. He encouraged leaders, people like me and people like you, to teach, to instruct in these gifts and to provide a setting and an atmosphere for the people to practice, for us to get used to these spiritual gifts, to take a risk. Because what's the worst thing you do? You take a risk, and maybe you're wrong. Listen, we're still dirt buckets. We're still jars of clay. But what if God wants you to take a risk, and he meets you in that risk, and he uses you to reach someone else's need at the right time, at the right place. He is the treasure. Amen? There's one more verse I want you to get a hold of. Psalm 63. And I've been meditating on this uh, most of the week. Looked at this early on in the week and just really been coming back to it several times. Psalm 63. When we're talking about spiritual gifts, sometimes that can become the focus. Like, oh, I want the healing or the prophetic or I want the whatever. Well, listen, this is what we really should be after. This is David. He's in the desert. Listen, verse 1. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And what I see, church, this morning is that when we look at these gifts, when we understand these gifts in a better fashion, it's not about the gifts. I tell people all the time, it's not about speaking in tongues. It's about your pursuit of God, that God wants to move in your life. And it's in that pursuit. It's in the presence of God that he allows the power to come in and to be used in spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? This morning, I want to take a chance 
And maybe the Holy Spirit's working in one of your lives or maybe several of your lives. I don't know everyone here. And maybe the Holy Spirit is working and drawing you to himself in a, in a way of salvation. Saying, man, if I were to die today, I'm not sure where I'd go. Um, and this morning, I want to give you that opportunity saying, you know what? I need to surrender my life to Jesus. And that's the first step, to become a believer, to become part of the family. And if you're here this morning and you need Jesus, would you just be so bold just to lift up your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, saying, boy, that's where I am today. Is there anyone here saying, I need Jesus today in my heart, in my life? Anyone at all? Just looking around, looking around. Okay. All right. I don't see any hands. And that's okay. Today, I believe that the Lord would like us to finish this time really taking a good look on the inside in regards to our desire to know God more, to eagerly desire the gifts, to eagerly desire God. And the question is, are you open to God working in and through you? Maybe some misconceptions have been removed. But this morning... I want to encourage us all, including myself, to seek God. To seek God. And in His presence, that's when the power is available. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we set our hearts before the Lord. Praise you, Jesus.